Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the MediaByUs.com. Joining me today is TJ. Yep. Chris. Hello. And Brent. Save them best for last. And my name is David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to talk about the homework assignment from last week, which was Life Itself, a documentary about Roger Ebert, and then going into uh, a dissection of film criticism, where we're trying to stay away from being up our butts about it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I got a little thing to start off with that I looked up. Um, one of our early podcasts, episode eight or nine, I think, we uh, all did our favorite movies from 85 to current, mm-hmm. whatever year we were alive, when that was making its way around social media. So I matched up ours with Roger Ebert's favorite movies from each year, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to see. And, like, perfectly, David matches the most. <laughs> Me and Brett are tied for second, and Chris is third. Feels <laughs> <laughs> like that's about right. It's about right. Yeah. So David had three, um, The Social Network, Fargo, and Goodfellas. Me and Brent each had two. I had Pan's Labyrinth and Almost Famous. You had cool. Almost Famous and Goodfellas. Yeah. And Chris, Fargo. Oh, cool. Yep. So, I'm surprised Ebert picked Almost Famous. That's his favorite movie of yeah. 2000. Yeah. Yeah, all right, cool. So, uh, yeah, so I picked this documentary just because, uh, I don't know, I'd wanted to see it for a few years, and I remember it getting a lot of, like, Award buzz and whatnot, and I honestly thought I would see it in 2014. David and I talked about how it was like a shoe in Oscar nom when it came out early that year. We both predicted it and yeah. it snubbed. Yeah. Also, it's, it's one of the part of the also part of the reason I picked it is because uh, when it comes to documentaries, I, I, I'm always happy that I watch them after I watch them, but I never can just press play. I feel like I, it's so hard for me to just press play on a documentary. Same, same for me. And so, Good ass, way to force your hand. And so uh, assigning it to us was my way of just saying, now I can't get out of this. Now right. I can't just like bail I've on, done it on this. <laughs> well, that's true. But I, I try not to. So, <laughs> Can I ask what everybody thought about it? Of course. That's, yeah. That's the point. That's, that's how we normally do it. Yeah. Um, I actually loved it. I really loved it. I thought it was pretty fucking boring. <laughs> really? Yeah. Especially the first, like, 60%. Hmm. Bored the hell out of me. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it. Oh. What about you? I liked it. I'll admit, I didn't rewatch as part of this, but I saw it last year. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember liking it quite a bit. I liked the stuff in Can. I liked the early Roger Ebert stuff. And some of the late-in-life stuff was pretty touching, especially him and his wife. I thought Chaz was a super engaging character in that mm-hmm. yeah. world. Um, I thought the Cam stuff was cool. The Siskel stuff was awesome. Yeah. yeah. The feud with Siskel I thought was the highlight. I like the yeah. behind the scenes stuff caught on camera. It's just like so. Oh, the B roll? Yeah. yeah, the B roll where they're fighting and yes. snipping. That is fantastic. That was my favorite scene, was, yeah. was the, the old uh, cut of Siskel getting so frustrated with Ebert. Yeah. And he finally calls him an asshole. Siskel and Ebert and the movies and an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. Um, I really just thought, like, it's hard with the documentary, right? Like, that's why they're so highly rated on mm-hmm. lots of sites because kind of hard to fuck up. Like, I mean, you're taking elements out of movies. Like, there's less writing, less filming. And also there's a bias. If you're interested in watching a Roger Ebert documentary, you're in the bag That's, for details about Roger Ebert and the movies. It is 100% about content. That's what makes documentaries good. And while Roger Ebert is a great writer, it's hard because, in my mind, movie critics, there are no good movie critics. There are good writers who end up being told they're a movie critic, and that's what they do for a living. But, uh, I mean, it's so subjective how to watch a movie. You know what I mean? You sure. like the ones that agree with you. Um, he is a great writer. 
Um, his, his early life just bored the shit out of me. It's not documentary worthy to me. Like he was a Chicago transplant who was a bit of a drunk who hung out with other journalists. Yeah, yeah, and it was just boring. So I didn't feel like they spent too much time on that though. It's like the first half of the movie. We didn't get to Siskel until like the sixty minute mark. Yeah, I know because I split split the watch because I had to stop watching because I was so bored. <laughs> but. Having said that, like I said, the last half I thought was was much, much better. I think I, I liked it when I watched it because it's a peek into a world I'm very interested in about people. Like, this is the most famous and celebrated and influential guy probably in our lifetime as far as film criticism goes. The far, yeah. Where his, he does his passion for a living, like watches movies and people respect his opinion. And I kind of like some of the stuff of him palling around with journalists. Mm-hmm. I like the inside look at that kind of life. Other journalism stuff, and especially the sneak peek into like a film festival I'll never go at. Can Sure. Like the... Can stuff was cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I never knew he was such an asshole like in his younger days. Mm-hmm. That was interesting to me. But like, you, you used the amount of time that should be devoted to telling that part of his life like in those ten seconds that you said that, but they tried to <clears throat> like canonize him and his early career as a journalist and his Pulitzer and everything and his personality, but also he was an asshole. It's like yeah, it's but it seems like that was a pretty defining trait of his that they tried to kind of like sweep under the rug by saying oh well he had a drinking problem. <clears throat> True. But none yeah. of his none of his buddies felt his drinking was a problem. We we didn't get that angle of like how you know him like making. I'm sure if he had a serious drinking problem and he was also an asshole to begin with, that like he probably made some people's lives shitty yeah. or shittier along the way, and we didn't really get a taste of that. So it's not a it's not a true like documentary. It's a, it's in a that memoir. Sense. It's yeah. not a biopic. Not biopic. It's not a biography. It's a memoir. It and is. A, yeah, that, and that's actually described as that. It's a. It's a adaptation of, of a his memoir. memoir. Right. Yeah. So it's not going to because I think it's 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 a compelling story to talk about. Like he rose to become so respected and so prolific because despite his personality traits, yeah. he was a phenomenal writer mm-hmm. and was a blue collar critic and could hammer out criticism and these like eloquently succinct pieces uh, like really quickly like mm-hmm. like that catapulted him d- despite his shortcomings but we don't get the shortcomings part so it's just like aggrandizing it's a little bit of a authorization bias in, in a lot of documentaries right yeah like I think we got to the same thing in like the Carol Spivey documentary yeah. and like is, 13th yeah for his yeah. family to authorize this I mean they're <clears throat> not going to go with I'm surprised they go into some of the warts, mm-hmm. but they're not going to really highlight the warts and all part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially... Because they're still, you know, grieving. It mm-hmm. hadn't been that long before this movie came out that he died, I don't think. No. I mean, they started... They, they, they start the documentary when he's six yeah, months true. from death. Yeah. Um, I did like the the second part, the second half of the movie more. I liked it more as well, because I really enjoyed his transformation from old, like... Just sort of uh, really pompous Ebert into like family man Roger Ebert, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like he, in a way, you're right. They don't set up enough of the the warts and all 
approach early, but they it you still see like a redemptive sort of end of his life, mm-hmm. where like uh, when his granddaughter is talking about him, that's one of the most touching scenes of the movie. Yeah, when she's talking about how he shares his love of movies with her and how he just like sits down and talks about why these movies are important. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really love that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think Chaz makes a big difference. She's a very key part of the, uh, I mean, she's the catalyst for his, for his, uh, redemption. You know, yeah. Redemption. Mm-hmm. So to speak. Mm-hmm. That's why I thought they put in the stuff they did about him kind of being a dick early in life is because they played it like he met Chaz and his life changed which I believe it did yeah the reason I don't believe that and if it's an adaptation of his memoir that's probably how he felt yeah was that she changed him right Mm -hmm. but honestly all honesty and not to say I have insight into his life or whatever but he did meet her right when he quit drinking (laughs) so he met her at his first AA meeting uh, my first assumption isn't that she changed his life as much as when you quit being an alcoholic that probably helped a little too. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, like I said, Chaz is my favorite. I guess I call him characters. I don't know what to call him documentary, but two of my favorite parts Subject. of the documentary. Yeah, yeah. also really, super interesting. Also, really enjoyed Werner Herzog in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he felt it felt like a Candyman. It's like <laughs> as soon as the, the filmmaker said like, and he had such a close relationship with Werner Herzog, you immediately get a Werner Herzog voiceover. I yeah. have been summoned. <laughs> I decided to dedicate a movie to Roger Ebert. <laughs> I went to the furthest corner of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Stared into the abyss. <laughs> Every laugh real and hard. And said his name. He's like a wounded soldier in our industry. <laughs> the, uh, Lars, <laughs> Lars von Trier shows him Antichrist. He listens on headphones. Never show this to Robert, Roger Ebert. <laughs> you must promise me. I <laughs> laughed <laughs> um, real hard at the airplane practical joke but Gene played on Roger yeah <laughs> so fucking mean and funny yeah yeah they really were like I don't know their their relationship I would like to see a, a documentary that's more focused on like just the two of them yeah <laughs> where, where you get more of Siskel because they are they seem they're just such bitter rivals and also respectful friends yeah no, they're b- best friends yeah I mean, you can't not be I was telling Chris it reminded me of a lot of me and him, like, late night drinking and playing games, ribbing on each other just because you can't do that kind of shit unless you love somebody, so it's impossible. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's 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 what I, I... That was my... I guess I wouldn't call it a, a downfall of it because it, you know... It certainly did it, but I would have I loved if this were more about them mm-hmm. and just the two of them because... From my perspective, and I don't know if, if this is coming through, if, if this is your first podcast or whatever, but you know, I don't really give a shit about big names and criticism, at least in the movie space, movie and TV. <clears throat> um, so I came into it with that bias. But the early part of his career is irrelevant. Sure. Um, yeah. As soon as you get to uh, Ebert and Sis- or Siskel and Ebert at the, at, and the movies, like that's when... He really is, you know, in the, I keep saying Zeitgeist podcast after podcast, but, you know, he really is like a mainstay, like a, a household name. So, like, doing the, the the quick build, you know, early career for both of them, getting there and spending the chunk of time there. Yeah. And then epilogue with their death and their, them, their families giving eulogies for each other. Like, 
I think that that was the documentary that I want to watch, mm-hmm. and this was the one that I did watch. Yeah, it's been about a year that I've seen it, but I wonder how much participation they had from the Siskel family. His wife is interviewed. Mm-hmm. I think pretty pretty heavily. Yeah, yeah she's, she's she's in it a she's lot. Heavy. She she tears up talking about how Gene didn't want Roger to know he was sick because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he didn't want that like ribbing to stop. Like right. he was thought that's why they were successful. And she said that and he's right. That I think after Siskel died, she always thought that Siskel was still around in the American consciousness. As long as Ebert was alive, yeah, that they they would always be a pair. And again, she was kind of right. Yeah. yeah, like it was weird hearing Ebert and Roper back in the day. Yeah. So, oh yeah. The the most important thing that I think this kind of jogged my memory on is that they, what they did with having a TV show critiquing movies had never been done, and it's never been done since. Like it was huge mm-hmm. national TV show where they talked about you know four or five movies a week. Yeah, it's crazy. They, they 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 started that. I mean, and they, they not only started it but kind of finished it too. It's interesting. And they were influencers for movies being in discussion that probably wouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. I liked it because they they did it from a perspective of still like the audience though, where it wasn't just like film snobs talking about art on screen mm-hmm. necessarily. They Ebert was doing it more from a perspective of like here's what you should and shouldn't waste your money on this weekend right mm-hmm. yeah reviewed movies well he didn't always do this and it's hard to always do anything but he claimed he wanted to review movies in context too mm-hmm. that a four star gross out comedy could have the same rating as Citizen Kane mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're yeah I actually like that know. fight they had sort of over that which yeah. was uh, when somebody said uh, Siskel rated something like two stars because he had just rated something three stars before it. I'm yeah. Like it's not as good but of a movie. I'm, like, I, I can't say that the movie I just watched was better than the previous one. And then Ebert immediately fires at him. He's like, but you know, that's what we do. We review movies in context. Yeah. It was, and Siskel was given Ebert shit because, uh, Ebert gave a bad review to full metal jacket. Is that the one? And he gave he followed that up with he's like I can't recommend Full Metal Jacket, and then he followed that up with recommending some like kids movie that was not good, not that good. Mm -hmm. But he was just like, this is made for kids. I'm I'm, they're not being reviewed by the same criteria. Like Mm -hmm. like I think Ebert even says no. Of course, this movie isn't one tenth the film that Full Metal Jacket is, but. It's not trying to be. And so when I recommend you go see this kid's movie, it's not for the same people. It's for the people who would have interest in this kid's movie. Right. Having said that, he didn't always stick with that. I did a lot of research on his reviews. Yeah. (laughs) And he bounced around a lot. Like I said, it's hard to do Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. consistently for 55 years. Mm -hmm. You're doing the same job. And I I did hear that after he married Chaz and uh, actually maybe even later when he got sick was... uh, Apparently his reviews started to trend like more positive in general. Like he just liked more movies and uh, was less critical. Well, I've got some notes here that kind of fit in with what you're saying there. Um, I pulled some quotes from movies that I think are good that I thought were funny in his reviews. Uh, Tommy he, Boy. He was great at just takedowns too. Yeah, that's the, I've got four quotes. He's an that assassin. Were Tommy Boy. Uh, he said it was like there was an explosion at the screenplay factory. <laughs> 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 Uh, in Constantine, he was referring to the opening scene where the, he traps it. He's like, I need a six-foot mirror. 
when he traps a demon in the first scene. Yeah. And he said, uh, why do demons have such low-tech security holes? That's <laughs> 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 really good. Um, he said the village does a disservice to both climaxes and prefixes. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. And uh, the usual suspects, he said, to the degree I don't understand what happened, I also don't care. <laughs> um, those all made me chuckle. Yeah, his, his writing was always super honest. Great writer. Mm-hmm. Which, which, uh, which is, I think that's the, the conclusion I came to with movie critics. We'll talk about that more in a little bit, but... Uh, Aside from like how much how how well you watch movies, you gotta be a great writer to be a good movie critic. He was a fantastic writer. Usually, I, I, I try not to read reviews before I watch a movie, but I try to read a few after I watch a movie. Mm-hmm. And normally, I do hit up RogerEbert.com for one of his after, mostly because his reviews are not super long. Like yeah. they're not they don't he doesn't drone on and on about mm-hmm. aspects of the movie. He. Uh, it's it's smart writing without being like verbose verbose yeah and uh, it's I don't know I always really like his even if I don't agree with it which I often don't like uh, <laughs> I think he didn't like uh, To Kill a Mockingbird I've got like seven or eight that I really disagree with um, yeah To Kill a Mockingbird he gave two and a half out of four uh, same for Unforgiven and Caddyshack both got two and a half out of four Raising Arizona I got one and a half Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Um, Elephant Man got two, which seems like such a critical darling. You know what I mean? Um, and then he gave The Happening and You Don't Mess With the Zohan three. <laughs> the same story he gave The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's <laughs> 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 like, oh, Roger. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, uh, Unforgiven and Godfather 2, which he both gave two and a half stars, um, ended up in his 75 greatest films of all time. And mm-hmm. he was just like, yeah, I watched them four or five times, and yeah, they're I way remember. better than I thought they were yeah. the first mm-hmm. time I watched them. I was drunk, probably. <laughs> probably. Like, you may have been drunk the first time you watched it. There's a website, the guy's called, like, I hate RogerEbert.com, and he, the top of his <laughs> banner is a tweet from Roger Ebert where the Roger Ebert tweeted a link to his website. And he's like, This guy lists my 100 worst reviews of all time. Uh, unfortunately, he's right about most of them. <laughs> 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 like, yeah, these are bad, bad reviews. Nice. Yeah. Well, I guess I could segue into the. We've kind of already segued into the conversation of of, of critics, and yeah. Not criticism, um, critiques. <laughs> you do. I do this sometimes. It's really, it's really I do this. Uh, not Chris as much because I know he doesn't doesn't care to read. Y'all have any critics? Y'all hate hate. I've got one that hmm. I wrote down. It was the first note I wrote when we started. No, but I will say that, that Peter Travers from Rolling Stone. Yeah, he got mine, but but he gave my childhood uh, films three <laughs> three and a half stars out of four. The, the one movie you're in. He just seems like such a bot critic, like Peter Travers. The big movie that comes out always has the Peter Travers generic thing. I think that's very like Rolling, Stone. Rolling Stone in general. Yeah, it's like <clears throat> everything is probably going to be four out of five if it's important. Yeah, enough. Doesn't really matter the quality. I don't like the uh, NPR movie critic David Edelstein. I'm mm. not a fan of David Edelstein. I think he gets off on tearing shit down too. I don't. I don't follow him. That's the thing. I don't really know. I don't know enough about a lot of critics that, other than maybe the two or three that I I read. I follow Josh Larson because he's on a, a podcast that I listen to. He's on Film Spotting, and uh, he writes. He he's an interesting writer. Even if I I do disagree with him frequently. 
but I enjoy his writing. He's another one that's fairly uh, brief with his writing. Yeah, I like um, another one who's who's can be brief. You know, it, it depends on the movie. But uh, David Ehrlich at Anywhere, yeah, I like him. He's he's kind of inflammatory sometimes. Oh, his his uh, headlines are always cheesy as shit, and I love them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wrote down my favorites. Uh, only there's there's three. They're really good. Uh, Christopher Robin is run of the mill. So dumb. <laughs> I saw that headline last week. Oh. Like uh, the unicorn store, a crick and mess with a heart of gold. <laughs> who's that? Now, who's the... Hold co- on, my favorite oh, there. Sorry. Current War, Cumberbatch and Shannon, shockingly short circuit, dull epic. <laughs> who's the... Uh, who's the... Uh, is it Gene Shallot who used to have... All, the, the old critic who used to have all the really, really bad... Oh, yeah. It, it yeah. stinks. Oh, wait, that was the critic. Yeah. <laughs> the cartoon. <laughs> it's like... It's like, I'm going to tell you a false truth about true lies. <laughs> <laughs> like, he'd be on, like, Good Morning America, doing the movie reviews yeah. on there, and he'd have those, like, all god-awful little quips. Yeah. Ugh. He's the worst. I gotta say, there's, there's very few film critics I actually listen to, or read, and I more listen to them in podcast format. Right. Like, there's a lot of IndieWire writers, AV Club people who have podcasts I like, like David Ehrlich, I like... Katie Rich, a bunch of people that are in this podcast, Fighting in the War Room. It's pretty good. I like Film Spotting. It's great. Film Spotting SVU. Matt Singer and Allison Wilmore. I, I like their takes, especially because it's accessible movies, rather than you know a week or two before anyone can see it in the theater. Right. They had a great podcast beforehand. I forgot what it was called, but they were like acquired by the Film Spotting mothership. Nice. Uh, I'll throw out... Uh, I like uh, Peter Bradshaw. He writes for The Guardian. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and again, I think I just like quick. I think I really just respect that Ebert style of just getting to the point and and not taking forever. Because I don't want to. I don't want to sit and read like you know, fourteen hundred words on mm-hmm. some movie that I may or may not see. But Bradshaw writes like he does like three paragraph reviews, and they're really well written. And he's just quick and to the point, and I like that. He's one of the few that I, I actually do stop when I get to one of his, and and I'll read a little bit. Nice. Um, Have you guys ever seen on Twitter Film Crit Hulk? Mm-mm. <laughs> it's Hulk as a film critic. He's actually a film critic. He does it like 140 characters or less, and they're all in all caps <laughs> and black, like uh, black and a and the and stuff. Nice. They're they're pretty funny. <laughs> you want to get into like the internet ranking sites a little bit? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that. So, like, they mentioned in the in the documentary that like Ebert and Siskel brought criticism more to the mainstream, and then they they lament a little bit that it's going away. Mm-hmm. And then since the documentary came out, I feel like in the last two years it has come back to be more mainstream because you now are seeing trailers with Rotten Tomatoes scores and whatnot, and that's a selling point to crowds more mm-hmm. than it used to be because. I never knew, even like past the age of being like a child or whatever, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I would never know what the critics thought about a movie when I went to see it. You had to seek that out. And you still don't by the Rotten Tomatoes score. Well, movie, movie posters in the early 90s and like all through the 90s had, and I don't know why they did it, but I remember it like on like the Top Gun poster for some reason. In quotes, it showed the number of stars it was given by some publication. Sure. And so you'd see on the posters and on the marquee that like someone gave this movie 
blank out of blank stars. Okay, yeah, I should have meant what I said to like A plus or like some other kind of rating. I yeah. guess it, I I just got, I just always ignored those because they could always find one, right? And, and so like it would just sort of be like there's every every poster is going to have some like four stars according to the director's uh, mom. Yeah. <laughs> According to Colorado Springs Gazette yeah. or something. Well, that's a lot of problems with Rotten Tomatoes now is that they're owned by the same company that I mentioned to y'all, mentioned this to y'all last week after the podcast, but they're owned by the same company that owns Fandango. Fandango, yeah. So there's a lot of like, like we don't know what we're getting, you know, or this, you know, Rotten Tomatoes pulling what they want for certain movies or not for certain movies. <clears throat> you know what I mean? It's, it's definitely not true. And again, I know we brought this up like 20 times on the podcast, but... In case you don't know and you're listening, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, the score is percentage of people that like the movie, essentially. So if it's 90%, 90% of the people like the film. I think it's I think if it's a 10-point scale, it has to be 7 out of 10 or better for it to be... Uh, fresh? Fresh. Fresh, yeah. yeah. And then and Certified can, Fresh is something else. It's yeah. like 80%, maybe. Yeah. And then Metacritic gives it more of a... That's a ranking. I so. think Certified has to do with sample size. It's from more... Total. It's a number two, though. Oh, really? I know because I, when we had that that podcast, we it, did. It has to be a certain percentage of top critics. There is a minimum two, though. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of both. Okay. Metacritic's more of a score, like a grade you would receive in school, right? Though. So if a movie's, and that's why Metacritic tends to be lower. It, for example, that we all saw, I think, is high eighties on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's mm-hmm. like a seventy-one on Metacritic. Both are really good scores for horror movies. Mm-hmm. On yeah. on on both aggregates. I gotta admit, I probably don't spend a lot of time on Rotten Tomatoes just because of what we're talking about. Is it's just consensus of is it decent? Yeah, which doesn't tell a lot. I like the I like Metacritic. I've used Metacritic for years about all kinds of stuff to kind of get a better interpretation of critical. I rarely I rarely go to the Rotten Tomatoes website. I'm with you. It's a great like initial. Okay, mm-hmm. like maybe it's it's okay. It's a seventy on Rotten Tomatoes. That's fine. Metacritic is where I, I tend to go if I want to. If I'm curious about a good act, movie, actually, I'm trying something. to remember what's integrated into IMDb. Is it Metacritic U- user scores? Well, it also has a link to I think Metacritic, but not Rotten Tomatoes. It doesn't have it Rotten Tomatoes wrong. on IMDb. Yeah, I think it's Metacritic. But IMDb scores they top out like the highest rated IMDb movie after like time settles is like a nine point two, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe Shawshank is like a nine point four. Um, yeah, they definitely seem the they're harsh. They're they're wacky. Yeah, I, I do like Rotten Tomatoes format on the. On, so I rarely go. I rarely really care about. Uh, I'll always glance at the percentage on Rotten Tomatoes, but I don't really. It doesn't matter to me much. Like if it's a, a forty or whatever, I'll You're still like looking at the little snapshots of the reviews. I scroll down and I go to the actual. I, I'll usually filter out to like just top critics or whatever, and I'll just kind of read some of the snippets and maybe if one interests me here or there. Like, if it tells you quickly, like, which critic stands out as, like, hating a movie that you liked or something. And I sometimes like to go find out why. Mm -hmm. I like reading about why somebody, you know, gave a poor review to, I don't know, Spotlight or something. Because that's interesting to me. Why, Mm -hmm. why, Why just top critics? I actually, I don't know. I, I think because the quality of the writing tends to be better. But it's like a ten-word quote. No, I'm just guessing that the quality of writing okay. tends to be better because you, you get to. There are a lot of good critics. I think Josh Larson is even like not a top critic, and I like him. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
you just have to sift through so much garbage, mm-hmm. sort of, on the not Yeah, if you do top critics, you avoid, like, movie dumb, what mm-hmm. next? Right. Yeah. yeah. Not enough tits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my review of Spotlight, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, wait, were you saying those were, like, snippets from the review? Because for me, they sound like publications and websites. No, I mean, they can be movie, like moviedumb.com or <laughs> notenoughtits.com. Like these are, I write for, you know. Right. I write for too few tits. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually gone and looked at a few of those before, those like sites where it's just like, it's the movie den. Yeah. And somebody who's reviewed some movie from like 1999 on it's, the, the movie den. It's the media by us. I mean, yeah, it, it is kind of just like, you know, a bunch of upstarts. and Right. If I wasn't one of us, I probably wouldn't want to read <laughs> one of us <laughs> yeah. at this point. I don't know. I think the consensus part is can be, as we all know, a little misleading. I think it's finding the voices that kind of match what you're looking for. I found a better way to find that through podcasts because you can... I don't know, just listen to their conversation, and yeah. if it seems like they are trying to be pretentious about it, or tr- purposefully trying to do hot takes, takedowns on something, I'm going to tune out. Yeah. But if it, I mean, I think especially in conversation, you can hear when people are passionate and actually like the things they're talking about. Even if they don't like a movie, they want to like it. I think that comes through. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm interested when uh, movies come out, just seeing what the people I listen to what they think about it if you're if you're not a fan of and I, I i know it's it's different but if you're not a fan of the consensus approach then why do movies nominated for oscars grab your attention the way they do as opposed to a movie that is 100 percent on rotten tomatoes that you have no interest in i didn't say I had no interest okay in i also have an answer for that which is the academy's separate from movie watching for me it's a separate hobby. Yeah, and that's why I said I know it's different. Right. But. It's it's like the Oscars are, are just like they've always interested me. They're a peculiar historical record yeah. that's being put in our contemporary context. Again, and they have but an like, amazing. Sorry to interrupt. I'm just saying, like these ten movies are the most important movies, and I know people don't vote for one of their most important. It could be favorite, best, but in historical context. These were the movies that were important for the year. Yeah. I just a, find that very fascinating. My, my favorite thing about the Oscars, too, is that while they don't have a good track record, in my opinion, of picking my favorite movie every year, mm-hmm. they have an amazing track record of not picking shitty movies. Right. They're always all for, for the for the most top, like, eight categories. Obviously, Suicide Squad wasn't a recommendation that everyone goes see Suicide Squad. Right. But, I mean, it but the makeup was for good. its... Right. Yeah, it was for its yeah. category. And, you know... When I pick my favorite movies of the year, yeah, almost famous and get nominated for Best Picture, but the five nominees in two thousand were all good movies. They were deserving. They yeah. weren't. They weren't shitty. I mean, every once in a while, you'll get something that sneaks in that we won't like, but sure. it's rare. I think what's in the not to make this Academy, but what yeah. just makes it interesting is the cross section from um, directors, actors, screenwriters to you know people who are grips and work in sound design. I think it flattens some of the pretension from. Film criticism aggregation. Right. Like, the most pretentious movie of the year is probably not going to be nominated for anything. Like, honestly. But I it know. Can, but it can clean up at the Globes. 
Oh, you like the Tree of Life, maybe? Is that kind of what you're That thinking? was nominated. Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> but like the like most experimental art film criticism oh, movie right. is probably not going to make it or be in serious contention for anything. Under the Skin is a good example. Yeah. It's a good movie that was reviewed great in the Academy. Challenging like, movie that, that. Yeah. that did have pretensions. I enjoyed it, but... Right. Up, upstream Color? Did anybody ever, anybody ever see it. that? Sure. The one. That, that kind yeah. of movie. Though. Yeah. Like sense. the movie that that film goers think the Oscar list is right. When, right. When, <laughs> yeah, is, when is people, that movie? When, like last year's Oscars, they're like nobody saw these movies. It's like actually all of these were really good, like and pretty big movies. Yeah, you want to talk about movies nobody saw? Yeah, well, that's some weird shit your way. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about Resident Evil, the final chapter? Because I did. Yeah. Well, that's Wall. Nobody saw the Great Wall. <laughs> <laughs> Except for like a hundred million people in China, they all saw the Great Wall. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to trying to no, ask. Crazy. I'm trying to get to the point because I feel like you three have an interesting dynamic when it comes to review scores. We we are clearly intelligent enough to be able to decide that review scores are exist to give people a flashpoint kind of like up down yes no one to ten real quick if you don't have the time to read a review. Sure, mm-hmm. but then I know that all of you are also the types who read the reviews. Do you think that review scores are useful to you, or do you think that reading the review and finding a voice that you either agree with or disagree with is more important? Because hmm. It's an interesting question. So I am never really looking for something I agree with, because if I, unless it presents something new to me. Sorry, not about an individual movie, but a person whose voice you kind of see yourself similar to. Like, the list, I wasn't listening, um, but, like, the lists that you, mostly David and Brent have, of people whose criticism you go to. Like, you go to rogerebert.com. Yeah. You know, you go, you listen to film spotting podcasts. Like, you obviously have something where you want to hear their opinion about it. hmm But then, at the end, they give it some numerical score. Yeah, in that, in that case, the, the numerical score doesn't matter, really, to me at all. No, it, it really matters to me. It matters to me for movies I care about, right? Yeah. So, like, I cared about The Big Sick when it came out. Before I saw it, I wanted it to do well, and I was glad it had a high Rotten Tomatoes score because I knew that was going to... That's good. Know, it's good marketing. Good marketing. It's going to extend its release. It's going to have a major release now, mm-hmm. and it's going to make a shit ton of money. And, you know, I liked the... I liked Camille, so yeah, I wanted him to do well. I'll also say that, like, uh, I think the Dark Tower having a starting off with a nineteen or a seventeen on Rotten Tomatoes did help me cull some of my excitement a little bit for, yeah. or at least you know, because I think I might have shown up and just been crushingly disappointed. Sure, with that movie. So in some cases, it's helpful. I like to, I don't know, I like to generally be aware of how everybody feels about it, even if I strongly disagree or whatever um and i think that's really all the new the number for me is only good for feeding into the the metacritic or the rotten tomato number in that it's just uh average it all together and just kind of it's just like taking a temperature of of how a subset feels about something Mm -hmm. Um, because there's, there's, I, I can't tell you a single critic whose, whose actual specific star or number review on a movie uh, that I can even name, but I can tell you that like Moonlight had a, probably an 80 something on Metacritic. Mm-hmm. 
Does that answer your question? I don't know. No, I, I don't think it's an it's answerable also, question. It's also limited because, like uh, Roger Ebert was talking about, you know, giving some bad reviews to movies that he considers some of the greatest movies of the 20th century. Right. Is like, you get, you're in an advanced screening if you're a critic or you have your one take is one day of one afternoon and you're rushing all other critics. And IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes reaches out to you because that's what they do. They reach out to confirm. It's like we're giving this numerical rating. If you agree, we'll go ahead. If not, let us know what you think is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it's such a fast thing. I'm trying to compare it to something else. Like I want to say I can kind of compare it with me anyway to like watching college football or the NFL or a mm-hmm. baseball game. I know a lot about those sports enough to that if I had a better voice for radio and like studied that, I could go do what most people do the next day in sports recaps. Mm-hmm. But I still listen to it because I like hearing other people talk about the thing that I like a lot. Like breaking it down. Right. Yeah. So when I watched The Great Wall, I didn't go read reviews about it. It's a shitty movie. But when I watched The Big Sick, I wanted to know what everybody was saying about it. I wanted to know if there was stuff I missed. I wanted to know whose performances were praised. I was just curious as to other people's yeah. thoughts on the movie that I also loved. Yeah. So And the, the key is that makes sense. Can of? they can they put their thoughts in an in an intelligent way. Which goes right. back to like the first thing I was saying. That's really you got to be a good writer first. It's yeah. just the writing is right. But then my question, and not to stretch it, but is would you find value then if somebody categorized like Alabama as a five-star team and Florida State as a three-star team without its quarterback and a four-and-a-half-star team with its quarterback? Despite talking about it. That's, that's what I'm trying to get to. So is, actually, is it useful for us as smart people to distill the... The great writing and the great conversation about the thing mm-hmm. into just like a point system that gets manipulated by marketers and producers. Because it's subjective. It's not a quantifiable right. thing we're talking yeah. about. It is because I don't want to go, I don't care as much for the person who said The Shining was a horrible movie. Right. I don't want to read their review. Because okay. I don't care. I know it's a good movie. Yeah. I want to read the person who said it's a five star movie. Okay, so that gets you, that, that might buy. Gets me in the door. That sells the ticket to read you the reading the review. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I. Uh, but you're you're also less of a personality based review reader, right? You've got like a couple. Uh, yeah, but I don't read them, right? If like I don't read Malton because he doesn't quantify new movies a, like a fucking leviathan. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> kind of beast he is when he reviews movies, but I don't see any pattern or practice. Like a fun romp is a four star movie in one place, and a fun romp. Just a fun romp is like a one-star movie elsewhere. Because it's over long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hijinks ensue. But yeah, that's my question. And I come at this from a from a from a gamer background. Is you know, there's lots of controversy over review scores, and the site that I follow the closest is a site where the <clears throat> it's Giant Bomb. the The editor, the 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 founder, basically, um, was asked to leave. GameSpot, game, GameSpot, when he reviewed a game poorly, because that game it was after a couple reviews and after some tension, but that was like the, the the final straw. And the company who developed that game was at the time doing a big advertising push on the website, and they asked him if the game could be recon- if the score could be reconsidered. He was like, no, like that's the score, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, and so. That's one part of it. And the other part is a website, Rock, Paper, Shotgun, who they have long pieces about why they don't put scores on games. And those are like the two, like, they're not as 
popular. Like IGN is IGN and Games GameSpot. I always have to pause because I'm going to say GameStop. Right. But yeah. IGN and GameSpot are like the two kind of marquee review websites for games. They kind of control the whole industry. But the two most respected uh, sites are Rock Paper Shotgun and Giant Bomb, places that just do not give a shit. And they're like, yeah. if you want to know what we think about this game, watch us play it and hear us talk about it. Or read what we wrote. And that's all we're giving you. Like, I, I used to like IGN, and but I just got, I don't got know. Things got buried in there so quick at a certain point. And I, I, I don't good really... Game guides. Yeah. Interactive game guides. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Every, every game is a 6.5 to 8.0. Yes, every, every game. game. Because in order to devote 30 hours to play a game, you have to want, you don't have to want to do it, but like a good site will just assign it randomly. But they get people who are already going to play the game to write the review, who are already going to choose to complete it. They're always going to think of the game better than that. And IGN and Game GameSpot both have a mechanical system for spitting out a score. So it's more objective it's basically based on how you wrote it. It spits out a, a number score, 1 to 10, and then kind of like the IMDb thing, except all internal, they reach out to the person who wrote it and said, does this look like a good, like, like the right score? Like, your review said this game was a 4 out of 10. Our machine said that, you know, it's a 4 out of 10. Does that jive? And so there's, like, conflict sometimes. They'll be like, your review reads like a 10-star a review, but you gave it 7. Like, Why? Yeah, I have you ever seen their like episode by episode reviews too of TV yeah. shows? Yeah, they're always just so effusive with their praise. <laughs> it is just like, I mean, it'll be like some very average show, and it'll be like this episode eight point nine, great. Yeah, you know nine point three. Like every episode of Game of Thrones gets at least like a nine point six from that. <laughs> this thing that bothers me about AV Club. The TV club, it's fun to just listen to some break down some of the episodes, but they go episode by episode rating, whereas, you know, it's an arc a season, but it's yeah. like, this one's a B minus, C plus, A plus. Actually, I don't think they've ever given an A plus. I've never I seen it. A is the highest I've seen. Yeah. Because not one episode of, I've, I've gone through not one episode of Game, not one episode of Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad uh, or The Wire or The Sopranos ever received an A plus. And it's like, I mean, unless they've really held on to that A plus for mm -hmm. a single episode somewhere, that's I don't know. Like, why have why have all of those if you don't ever assign them, like I, ever? I had a I had a David and I both had the same teacher in high school who didn't think that in high school there was such a thing as an A plus paper. It just didn't exist. The maximum grade he gave on any paper was a ninety eight. Um, and it's just like, it's just kind of a foolish ideal. Like why, yeah. why, why have that? Cause a long enough time, people are just going to consider an A and A plus it's their top mark. How do you yeah. feel about speaking of letter grades, Cinescore, do you have any thoughts on those folks? Um, I'm always, again, I will. I'm unfamiliar. Cinescore is the one that, um, questions 200. Yeah, it's, it's like opening night. 200 random people on Thursday night opening movies and gives it a F to A plus grade. Hmm. As they walk out of the theater. Right, As they walk out right, of the right after. Right the movie. after. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a fun experiment. I could see a lot of bias. So like Mother... Mother got a... It was one of like 30 movies ever to get an F. <laughs> it has most more to do with the marketing for a movie than it really does the quality in my opinion. So apparently it's like a 
pinpoint, they've gotten amazing at telling you how long a movie will be in the theater. Just off the CineScore. They hmm. can do it, like, to the week. So we need to see Mother quick. Like, Mother will not be in the theater after. Except like, I wondered now that it's because Mother got an F and it's getting a lot of press yeah, for it's it. Yeah, That's going to, like, yeah. give it extra life. Because it doesn't happen Compared to, like, a C- or mm. a, a D or whatever. We walked out of that movie. Um, <laughs> we were walking through, like, a department store in the mall where the, our local theater is. And this lady looked right at Al and me and was just like, I fucking hated it. She's <laughs> off my list forever. <laughs> about Jennifer Lawrence. And I was like, man, I get it. And, like, you know, we're, we're really close to a big city. We're in, like, the biggest suburb of a big city yeah. where the four of us live. But, um, man... Those people went in there thinking, like, ooh, a Jennifer Lawrence horror movie. And, like, didn't know who Darren Aronofsky was. <laughs> but yeah. I wish I could have told him before the movie, like, wait, right. wait. Yes. It, is is, mar- it is marketed that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, totally. is, which is why, so, like, the, the, the first 200 stooges you get in a theater are going to be other people who are, like, absolutely devoted to it or who were, like, suckered into going. So that's why it's, it's, a, it's an interesting idea. I like it. I mean, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I would never fucking use it to evaluate whether I go see a movie or not. And I gotta, yeah. I gotta think about it and talk about it a little bit. Of course. For a lot of movies. Some mm-hmm. are immediately bad and some are immediately great. But yeah. yeah, 80% of the movies I watch, I give it a day before I go on Letterboxd and do anything. I personally rank for my own sake. Um, why star movies? Yeah, I yeah. And, and for y'all to see them. I mean, I only follow three people now on Letterboxd. Yeah, by the way, TJ broke me. I joined Letterboxd. Oh, boy. <laughs> I just followed you. I'm not, uh, not going to rank anything, but I just want to use it to keep track of movies I watch for this dumb experiment we're And doing. it's really nice to see what y'all have watched in weeks leading up. If I'm struggling to find something to watch, I'll figure out what y'all did and I'll stream it while we'll something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you're curious, we've seen The Great Wall, David. <laughs> this is a callback to last episode. If you complete the quartet of Nerve or... Did you see The Great Wall, Brent? Not yet. Cholera going through the camp. Let me know if you decide to watch it, and then I'll wait. <laughs> so that we can do it on four different podcasts. <laughs> um, well, now it will be five. <laughs> right, five. You know what I was just thinking? I, mean, <laughs> I should have signed it. As- <laughs> uh, Let's put it up for talk, talk baby. <laughs> <laughs> that might be kind of fun. But not, not to backtrack back to aggregation. No, but- that's fine. Even though I have problems with the quantization of that kind of stuff, I do use it as a filter for some stuff. Especially like uh, I'm trying to find a horror movie in October, mm-hmm. you know, for the, a Talk of Fame submission. So I'm looking at horror movies that are at least, you know, 40% a, or whatever. Yeah, at least 50%. And I'll kind of call that way. Just to kind of, there's so much stuff out there. Having anything to make it easier to look at stuff. And I, I do also use it with industries I'm less familiar with, like purchasing, and something that has more of a time commitment, purchasing oh, yeah. video games, and when I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking up books, I like I like looking at the Goodreads scores sure. for like the fan community that's reading it. It's, when it comes to Goodreads, I feel like all the scores are way high for every book that I see on there. Yeah. Yeah, because I think they're a lot. I guess maybe it's the books I'm looking at, or maybe it's personalized or something. But they're always lower than that Amazon score. Is he, uh, but, yeah, I, well, Amazon I, also has really high scores. I, I feel the same as Brent because, and, and I think with with books in particular, this sounds like a really like stupid guy thing to say, 
with books in particular, um, <laughs> women can't get <laughs> is books don't happen to people the way that movies and TV shows do. Sure, True. like you have to sink. It's so much more of a, a mental investment. You know, there's there's very few people, not not very few, but there are fewer people who digest books the way and literature the way that most people now take in TV and movies. I was going to say too, I think time we're a little yeah. spoiled because like most of our girlfriends and like our friend Katie read a ton. We read more than the average people do. And we, I still don't think I read that much. Right, but it's a lot more than the average person. So yeah. if the average person picks up the Hunger Games and they hadn't read a book in three years, they're not going to say it's a bad book because they don't, you know what I mean? They just invested like three weeks into a book. They're not going to finish it if it's not. That's the, yeah, that's what I was going to get at, which is like, with, if you're halfway through a movie and you're like, this sucks, there's a, you got a decent shot of, it's just another hour. You just but, have to waste another hour to finish that movie. Whereas, unless you're an avid reader, you're finishing that book. Right. Yeah. If you're 150 pages into a book and you're just like, I don't like it. I don't like it. You're putting it down because yeah. if there's 300 more pages, and no, why and, put yourself and no that? amount of like, oh, but the ending is really worth it is going to make that person slog through like 120 more pages to get to that last good 30 chunk, yeah. 30 page chunk. Kind of see, I'm the opposite. <clears throat> oh no no no! I I if I pick up a book and start reading it, I need to finish it. Yeah, I'll cut a movie off in a heartbeat. Oh. I'll I'll cut a book off. Yeah, mm-hmm. I very rarely. As I said, unless you're a super avid reader, I think. But I think people get connected to characters and mm-hmm. to the chore of reading some when they also, don't read a lot. Also, find community uh, reviews like through Goodreads better to me than like professional critic reviews for books because I'm much closely, I'm much closer to a casual reader, even though I probably read a couple books a month. Mm-hmm. Than I am to a professional reader of books. Seems insane, like getting a review copy and reading an entire book, yeah. like a, a week before a book comes out or something like that. Mm-hmm. I just have nothing in common with that methodology or anything. Versus, I, I probably watch, you know, a good bit of movies, and you know, I'm a snob sometimes. Right. So I'm paying more attention to, and I guess maybe aspiring a bit to be. Breaking down movies like the way some critics do. I don't know. Just thinking about it, you know, mm-hmm. you're challenging me with some questions. How do yeah. you how do you feel about video game like uh, when it comes to video game scores on like Metacritic? Are they pretty? Well, let's put it this way. Well, what do you think is more generally accurate when it comes to you? When it comes, let's say on Metacritic, video game aggregate scores, TV aggregate scores, or movie aggregate scores. I have a problem in that I don't look at that stuff. Okay. That's, that's, so last podcast when this was assigned as homework, sorry, two podcasts ago when this was assigned as homework and the main topic, I don't know if it, it made it in the edit, but I made kind of like a groan. It's only because like, I know this is, this is, this is such an important topic that I, for reasons, like maybe not that like intelligently or purposefully, but I just don't engage in, in a lot of written criticism. Sorry. Okay, I have I have a hard time looking at Metacritic and saying that I understand why that has that score. Um, so I use it I use it for video games mostly because I don't read as much about I don't know as much about video games and so sometimes I'll see like Amazon put a game on sale for like nine ninety nine or something mm-hmm. and I'll just be like I don't know what this is and I'll go to Metacritic and it'll just kind of tell me I don't know 
Like, I, I'll use that sometimes. Because it could be a 25 to 100 hour commitment, you know? Yeah. yeah. And video games are the highest price point of any of these uh, pursuits. Mediums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, depending on what games, what what market you're in, in the game space. If True. You know, it's also I, like per hour, it's the cheapest probably. <laughs> right, because I, I spend most of my money on games not on $60 day one releases or even $40 day $365 releases. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I go into you know the smaller games like the Insides and... Uh, you know, Rocket League, which I got mm-hmm. for free, you know, mm-hmm. a little technically for free. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it matters less what a game is scored and more if people whose tastes I respect enjoy it, um, then I can look at them do it and decide if it's, if it's worth it for me. Sure. And like that matters more. The thing about critics though, for me, um, they, even the people I respect the most mm. don't agree with me 100% of the time. Yeah. Oh, me too. Like, the sure. people I would expect the most would be y'all three and, like, Cassandra. And y'all haven't seen or read the shit that I want to go see because you would have seen it with me. So it's hard to do that. So mm. after that layer, the next layer is, what if everybody in the world saw it? What's their collective? They won't be right necessarily, but they'll steer me in a good position. If right. seven billion people saw it and five billion people thought it was awesome, That'll scare me there. It doesn't mean it's awesome. It doesn't mean I'm going to like it. Right. If, you know, 200 people liked it out of 7 billion, it doesn't mean I'm going to hate it. But it steers me. And that's what a score is to me. Yeah. It's generally, most people thought this this movie was pretty good. It, it doesn't necessarily set the needle, but it might move the needle a little bit. Like, for me. It like it, urgency to read, play, yeah. or watch. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, oh, here's a movie I was already interested in, and it's getting outrageously good reviews. Okay, I might want to see it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Or it's getting outrageously bad. Like the uh, the circle. Yeah. Like I went from like, oh, this looks really good, just based on one trailer, to like everybody crapping on that movie. And I was at that point, I was like, okay, well, I still would like to see it, but now I don't want to go spend money and go see it in a theater. I'm gonna play yeah. it in my nine ninety nine a month. I'll go see it and not go spend thirty dollars to go see yes, it. Yes, now right. I'm gonna go see it. Now I'll wait until it's on HBO Go right. or something. Sure, because we've devoted two entire podcasts to these have low Rotten Tomato scores, but they're really great movies. Some okay. of them, like some of our favorites, yep, yeah, and it could be great. Just and like the, the other way, could have sucked. Yeah. These are highly rated movies, and we think they're garbage. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, are there any other uh, aspects of the topic that we? I don't think so. I had a lot of fun talking about there. Chris had really good questions that I've never yeah. thought of. But I think I'm good. Unless you want to talk about media representations of criticism. In which case you could talk about Ratatouille and the animated show The Critic. The Critic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did talk about, uh, and I think it's it's something that we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on it briefly, but uh, the there is a, a sector of Hollywood, um, basically people who make bad movies, who think that Rotten Tomatoes is bad for the movie industry. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of just a bomb discuss. Um, Brett Ratner, very famously, a couple of years ago, said that uh, that Rotten Tomatoes is ruining his career um, because he's getting because you know people will go see it, it'll get you know rotten, and then like it'll dry up after day one. And he's blaming Rotten Tomatoes specifically. That seems really petulant and childish, though. 
Yeah. Just like don't make ill-conceived movies. <laughs> make your make your movies better. Well, that's or, kind of the thing that we or market about. it like, you know, this isn't Citizen Kane, but it's going to be a shitload of fun. Transformers. Yeah. yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, the criticism doesn't hurt Michael Bay at all. Yeah. And on the other end of the spectrum, Michael Bay in an interview said, "Yeah, I make movies for fifteen-year-old boys. So what?" And critic- somebody has to. Yeah. It's the Roger Ebert point of like, I'm not a kid. This mm-hmm. you know this is a kids movie. I can't really have the context for reviewing it. Is you know action movies are made for people of a certain age, and film critics are in like their fifties and sixties and have a lifetime of snobbery and mm-hmm. um, distance between themselves and the people they were when they enjoyed those kind also, of movies. Michael Bay's making movies for fifteen year old kids. Movie critics aren't writing for fifteen year old kids. They're writing True. for other self, you know. Described yeah. movie snobs. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't want a critic to like Michael Bay. Because I don't like Michael Bay. <clears throat> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> if a critic says, like, Michael Bay's the best director ever, I'm not going to like that critic. And nobody is that reads anything that movie critics have to say. See, oh. I wonder if actually, if I... I don't know. I don't know if I disagree with... Uh, with Ratner or not. I think I'd strongly disagree with Ratner. I think I wanna I wanna actually read the full quote from Ratner sure. before I use my version of it and we run. Is it from his website The Rat's Nest? <laughs> <laughs> it's this was uh, in March of this year. Um, his company, the Rat Pack, there you go. Uh, co-financed Batman v Superman. Uh-huh. Um, the worst thing we have in today's movie culture is rotten tomatoes. I think it's the destruction of our business. I have such respect and admiration for film criticism. When I was growing up, film criticism was real art. There was intellect that went into that. And you would read Pauline Kael's reviews or some others that don't exist anymore. Now it's about a number, a compounded number of how many positives versus negatives. How it, Now it's about what's your Rotten Tomatoes score. And that's sad because the Rotten Tomatoes score was so low on Batman v Superman, I think it put a cloud over a movie that was incredibly successful. I mean... So it's a little more nuanced than what I gave him credit yeah, for. But it's, it's still the same thrust. It's, I'm still 100% with David's response. It's childish petulant. Yeah. Like, to be able to... Sorry, that movie's severely fucking flawed. I don't yeah. think it equates to its Rotten Tomatoes score at all. I agree with him there. But it's not a fucking badass movie. If right. you want your movie to be critically received well in today's world... Like, sorry, man. We have the fucking internet. Deal with it. And yeah. It was marketed as, like, The Dark Knight. Of like this is a serious movie and people are brooding and there's like nine eleven imagery and we're trying to have real feelings here. And it just wasn't great. <laughs> I don't know what what he wants. I think about like how Rotten Tomatoes is affecting Hollywood now, which is kind of what he's getting at. And like, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe it's a. I'm sure it's not a positive effect for Brett Ratner's of the world, right? But this summer, I don't think I've ever. I don't remember a summer with as many blockbuster movies hitting the screens that have really great reviews. Like, so many movies this summer. I couldn't keep up with them. Mm-hmm. Like, Spider-Man oh. was good. Uh, Wonder, Woman. Wonder Woman was beloved. There were just... It seemed like this this summer had fewer misfires than almost any summer. I think there, there was a good bit of movies that just completely died, though. Yeah. But movies that were lazy in conception... And almost trying to take advantage of audiences through like brand I like you, recognition. I feel like you get that every year, though. What I feel like you don't get a lot is action movies that are well received. Yeah, right. Yeah, but that's like, what I'm saying. War like, for the Planet of the Apes, and, right? And so I think maybe the effect that Rotten Tomatoes may be having, if it has a good effect, is that 
studios are taking more care to make sure movie because now if Rotten Tomatoes is having an effect on consumers, then studios may go to more trouble now to make sure that the the script is good, mm-hmm. that you know actors are good, and that that things are going well. I mean, that might be what Star Wars concern over Han Solo was going to be. Well, yeah, you should listen to the customer. It's but, not that like. You can't pull the wool over your customer's eyes. Like, that shouldn't be what you're complaining about. That's the band-aid. You should fix the bleeding. Yeah. But, and also, to be fair, with Star Wars and with Brett Ratner, in particular in this context, like, these are criticism-proof movies. Yes. Like, sure. Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. He, he ends it by saying, like, you know, a dark cloud over a movie that was incredibly successful. It's like, yes. It so you incredible. see why your argument's unnecessary. Right. Because people are going to go see your movie regardless because you made a fucking Batman versus Superman movie. Like, yeah, what did those reviews cost Batman v Superman? I mean, nothing unless you were planning on Oscar nominations. Even if it cost them $100 million, they still probably made like $400 million. Yeah. On like a $60 million budget or probably way more than that, but I don't know how much movies cost. Like if you want your, if you want to have your cake and eat it too, you need to pay more attention to the product you're giving yeah. customers. Make a better fucking movie. Like, it's that easy. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to make a better movie, but, but I'm that's saying, the, like... That's the solution. But, yeah, if you want a higher fucking score on anything, make it better. <laughs> I mean, in September, we had a remake of a horror movie that was, like, pre-existing property that could have just been a horror movie, but it was well-written, well-executed, and it's the most successful horror movie of all time. Yeah. On pace to be maybe that's one of the how you have, rated R yeah, movies. That's how time. you have your cake and eat it, too. It was incredibly successful, and it had word of mouth, because... They cared. And that's what I like about Rotten Tomatoes being more ingrained in culture is that is is that it puts more pressure on them to make good products. Yeah. And I like that. Did yeah. you see the Dark Tower? No, not yet. Okay, I didn't know. Catch it on HBO. I was yeah, I was just I was curious <laughs> because I, um what Rotten Tomatoes did to those two franchises or not franchises, those two movies, those two adaptations specifically, was really interesting to me. But you had one that was you know, had way more going for it mm-hmm. early on in the production in the mm-hmm. Dark Tower. Yeah, and then they came out, and it became you know the most successful movie of its kind of all time. Mm-hmm. And the Dark Tower bombed. Um, I don't know what I can tell. It was all it was. You know, it sounds like it, what Rotten Tomatoes. When we say what Rotten Tomatoes did to these, you know, I'm sure Ratner and some feel like it's it's unjust what rot what Rotten Tomatoes does, mm-hmm. but. I feel like it, it fairly it fairly and accurately reflected how people felt about those movies. It's 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 got no loyalty. Yeah. Maybe the only thing that that is like an ethical consideration with Rotten Tomatoes is are they selecting critics to, to certify movies fresh and or like in the sixty to eighty percent range to sell more tickets because they're owned by Fandango. But other than that, they don't answer to anybody. If you look at the audience score on on Rotten Tomatoes, like that's unless they're fucking with the numbers, it's like completely like it, it is a, a number that stands alone so Brett Ratner doesn't like it like fuck off it's fairly offensive what he's saying because what he's telling me is that your review has no business being on my movie that the only reason that I went to see that movie is because Rotten Tomatoes told me to right when yeah. word of mouth is still a thing Bonfire of the Vanities didn't make any money with the star power it had back in 91 or whenever it came mm-hmm. out because people went and saw it it fucking sucked when I went and saw Batman and Superman, I didn't tell anybody to go see it because it wasn't that good. Yeah. Could be correlation is not causation. It's like critics don't like this movie. 
because it's bad, and it also means audiences don't like the movie because it's bad. Yeah, because that's what critics are. You can have fucking audience members who can write well. Every yeah. different combination of that can yeah. happen. So, I mean, to say, like, it's, you're not smart enough to and, but he's not even make saying your own that, choices. He's saying, yeah. I don't know, know what his fucking point is. Did he direct Batman v Superman? No, he was, was he just talking about His it? production company was involved. Also, when it comes to superhero movies, I think the public in general has been really good at figuring, like, like separating the bad from yeah, the good. Yeah, in in a way that maybe they don't for like, uh, or they used to not for mainstream action movies. Yeah. But when it comes to superhero movies, the great ones make a a ton of money. The Dark Knight made a ton of money. Audiences, yeah. audiences there aren't good superhero movies that don't do well in the box office. Right. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy made a ton of money, and so audiences were able to say like. These were better than Batman v Superman, so audiences clearly agreed with an X three with yeah. critics, right? Yeah, when it came to those, yeah, X three still made a ton of money. Yeah, Suicide Squad made a ton of money. Batman yeah. v Superman made a ton of money. But good movies don't make no money. Is what I'm saying. Oh, well, I'm saying is though, space. but when right. you put it on the scale of big budget superhero movie, Batman v Superman still probably did worse. I mean, it certainly did worse than Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. And it did worse that because Dark Knight made what eight hundred million or something worldwide. Uh, uh, it was insane. It was, yeah. Yeah. it was number two or number three all time when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think Guardians did better as well. And so, uh, I think audiences are more discerning when it comes to that sort of thing. So we're saying we don't like the finer details of Rotten Tomatoes, but we like the effect it has. I don't know. Well, I just think that's a good effect. It's, you know, to bring this back, Siskel and Ebert in the movies gave movies thumb ratings. They say recommend or don't recommend. And that was the most popular thing in movie criticism ever. Mm -hmm. Now they've been replaced by Rotten Tomatoes. I think they're the same criticisms you could lobby against them that you can against Rotten Tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And... It's still important and beneficial in other ways. And, you know, they talked about, and, you know, Brent started one of his points by saying that they lament about how movie criticism is going away. It's not going away. It was democratized. Um, mm-hmm. And like democracy, there are good and bad things about it. I just think that Brett Ratner is a child. <laughs> yeah, God. I, I still there, is a, there is a fine point to make in criticizing Rotten Tomatoes that, like, people, like, like misuse it that production companies take advantage of early Rotten Tomato scores. You just made it about him a little much. Yeah, seemed like that. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have a right, almost. Yeah. Whereas, like it's it's not a uh, it has no agency. Right. Also, just because we're we're, I feel like we're about to wrap up, um, and I don't, I didn't want to omit this. I should have mentioned it earlier. It's going to seem like a non sequitur now, but there is one TV critic I really like. His name is Alan Sepinwall. And he just because he writes with joy for and and when joy comes across, it makes me want to watch more things. Mm-hmm. And so he just he just is so you can just tell he loves TV. And I think that's also getting back to Ebert. I think that's what why pe- people connected to Roger Ebert the way they did is that through his writing you could still tell that he just loved going to movies. Yeah, and it, it was, never felt like a job. It was a through his passion. writing. Yeah. And I think that's maybe the most important thing for movie critics. I love their screening room, by the way. Where Ebert always loved to sit up front to the right, and Siskel always liked to sit in the back row on the left. 
just as far <laughs> away from each other as possible. Yeah. Anyway, that's that. That was, a, that was a fun talk. It was more fun than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Like, you steered it well, Chris, actually. I wasn't trying to steer it. I, I just know, but I, I worked. So, next up is uh, a draft next week or some sort of game. Yes. Not a draft. It's on Christian. And I didn't have... I, I had the idea for the podcast before I had the movie. So the movie might feel a little shoehorned in, but it's one that either we've seen or have talked about wanting to see on this podcast before. Sweet. And my title and game in the day is going to be... Um, sorry. Whatever it is, is going to be related to uh, interestingly titled movies. And... Uh, I found this Twitter account that really fascinated me uh, that kind of spurred this. So we're going to be watching, it's kind of long, I'm sorry about that, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh, fun. Oh. Have you guys seen yes. it? Yes! I will I'll happily rewatch this okay. movie. Craig <laughs> got excited. Who, who here hadn't seen it? I, thought I, I have not seen it. Okay, good. I thought that, some, that one of you guys said, look, I really want to watch it. I do want to watch it, but okay. I just, I do I've never put the... Because it's, it's like a two and a half hours. Intimidatedly introduced to me as like... Well, I will just an active watch, and I've I've described it as a as a dense movie in in the terms of like it's just a lot of very quiet talking, and it's a uh, I really like it a lot. I'm sure somebody will probably dislike it, but it's it's classic espionage. It's not James Bond espionage. It's like real world espionage where it's about dead drops and handoffs and like slight manipulation not like motorcycles and guns and, right. and like skidoos it's not a James Bond movie <clears throat> skidoo <laughs> what's the game uh, well, I'm gonna t- we can talk about it when we get to it I want it to be kind of fun it's something that you can spoil and okay. you can like I read a list so I know some of these alright fun yeah like, but I like it Sweet. Tinker, Taylor, Soldier, Spy. Yeah, Tinker, Taylor, Taylor, Soldier, so Spy. I, I kind of feel bad because this isn't getting brought in on an episode where we're talking about like spy movies but Whatever. No, it's fine. There are other John Le Carre movies I, that we can. I like talk you. About. I like you. Kind of not going deep into the topic either, because because uh, I actually wound up cutting all of today's topic out of the last podcast. I, I didn't even tell. I didn't even say what the topic was going to be. I assigned <laughs> nice. the homework. Oh, and that was it. I was like, let the. I thought we'd save the topic for the listeners. Cool. Cool. Yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's on Netflix. Cool. Oh, sweet. I haven't checked to see how long it's going to be there, so. I don't know. If you got a slow day tomorrow. TTSS. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Tom yeah. Hardy's in that movie. Yeah. Good job, and, everybody. And Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. And Tinker Taylor. Yep. And, and Soldier Spy. <laughs> so this was Talkie Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that that happened. I was like, all right, well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast from Mini by Us. Please visit the site and see our stuff. Connect with us on Twitter and Gmail and Facebook, or both our groups and our page. The hyperlinks are in the show notes. Uh, we'd love to hear from you for topics uh let us know what you feel about stuff you watch things you read novels you write (laughs) none of those are actually related to what we talk about (laughs) but just do it anyway subscribe to us give us a rating and uh engage with us i want to say thanks to the willow walkers thanks when did that start us doing that (laughs) and thanks to burifa because i will go burifa (laughs) (laughs) i see what you're doing there blunt Black? <laughs> aloe, aloe black. He's a man, he's a man, man. And that's it. <laughs> Thanks, TJ. <laughs> that's it. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Chris. Last for best. Bye.
This is Podcast 50. Hey! 50. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know. Wants to say thanks. I just need to remove that from this thing. What? Engage with us. It just feels weird to say. <laughs> yeah. So don't it from don't engage with us. dirty. <laughs> I have a wife. <laughs> Brent has a wife. Engage with us. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> TJ and I are just pretenders. <laughs> See, David, David cuts us out. I'm just going to multiply them. God. <laughs> <laughs> I have a wife. Oh yeah. Engage with us. Engage with us. Engage with us. Brent has a wife. Oh yeah. Don't engage with us. Dirty. Don't engage with us. Dirty. Don't engage with us. Dirty. Oh yeah.